Acts 4 and 12 will be just our focal point, and we'll launch from there. As you remember, we've been walking through the book of Acts. The Bible says in Acts 4 and 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Amen. Lord bless you. You may be seated. As we have looked through the book of Acts, chapter 3 and 4, which falls immediately after the day of Pentecost, we find great emphasis is placed upon the name of Jesus Christ. This is not simply a coincidence because a, a name is much more than identification, but it carries with it authority and power. And it was the number one motive and agenda of the church to give glory to the name of Jesus. It was Peter that said, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And his name, verse 16 of chapter 3 said, And his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong whom ye see and know. Acts chapter 4 and verse 7 says, By what power or by what name have ye done this? You see this common thread. This, it keeps popping up. The name. The name. That's what leads to Acts 4 and 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Acts 4 and 18 they commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. They just did not want the name of Jesus to be released into the atmosphere. So they did everything they could to fight against it. Verse 30 of chapter 4, And that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. The early church had revival because of the emphasis upon the name of Jesus and because they had unity amongst themselves. Amen. So we're going to pick up where we left off last week. I want Brother Jamie to start reading on Acts chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you. I know we're going to have it on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to follow along with us. Beginning with verse 32 of Acts chapter 4. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought things which he possessed of his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon all of them. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the pieces of things that were sold. And the land and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made even unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, which were, who by the apostles were surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having, laid, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, to understand this verse, you've got to read it in context. This was 
people who were responding to the, to the move of God upon their hearts. This was not a dictatorship saying, if you're going to be a part of this, you've got to sell what you've got, give it to the church, and, and take a vow of poverty. That was not what this was. This was a, a, a move of God. This was not man-made communism. Neither was it, uh, neither is it the many who would work supporting the few who wouldn't work as we see today. But this was a family, a body, a church who were sold out to the Great Commission. That they put the church's message and ministry first in every part of their lives, including their possessions. So to understand what was happening, you've got to realize that the Lord knew that in A.D. 70... The city of Jerusalem would be destroyed by the Romans and the people would be scattered and everyone would lose everything except those who gave it to the church right then. God saw that in his divine wisdom. And so they were going to lose it all anyway. Why not give it to the church and, and put the church first and so God began to move upon people, and they brought what is known as free will offerings, just like, just like they were given for the building of the tabernacle and the temple. And Barnabas was the one that, that led the way because the devil hates and fears unity. Number one goal of Satan is to bring division in the body of Christ. Just That's why the Bible says neither give place. To the devil. All he needs is somebody to give him a place. Just get a foothold. And so that door just stays open. And he'll start working amongst the people. He'll start, he'll start putting seeds of and doubts and confusion amongst the people and starting to spread and cause division in the body. That's why we have to have a spirit of unity. The enemy within the church is always more deadly than the enemy without the church. I would love to tell you that everyone that sat on church pews had a spirit of unity. That's not the case. People are people. And the enemy can influence anybody to bring division in the church. I can tell you so many stories right now, things that I've seen through the years, and it start with just one misunderstanding. One bad feeling, and then it starts to magnify and starts to ripple and starts to spread, causing division in the church. Amen. Acts chapter 5. Go ahead, Brother Jamie, verse number 1. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price. His wife also being privy to it and bought a certain, brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter saying, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thy heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whiles it remained, was it not in thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? <clears throat> why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And a great fear came upon all of them that heard these things. And the young men arose and wound him up and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. 
And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Now we've all pretty much heard the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias means gracious but he presumed on the grace of God. Sapphira means beautiful, but inside she was ugly with sin. It should be noted that God judges sin severely at the beginning of each new covenant he makes with his people as a warning to them. Leviticus chapter 10, just after the tabernacle was finished, God killed Nadab and Abihu for trying to offer strange fire before the Lord. Numbers chapter 15, just after Israel was banished to the wilderness for 40 years, God had a man killed for working on the Sabbath day. Joshua chapter 7, just after Israel entered the promised land, God had Achan killed for taking forbidden spoils from the city of Jericho. God has made it clear through his word that he takes sin and his covenants and his commandments serious. And so Ananias and Sapphira's sin was not in having land or possessions or even refusing to give or not even give the entire amount. That was not the issue. The issue was they agreed to lie to the Holy Ghost giving a false outward impression to the church in hopes that the inward reality would not be detected. They agreed together to, to lie to the Holy Ghost. God, it had nothing to do with the land or what they gave. It was that they conspired together to lie to the Holy Ghost. It was pride that transformed Lucifer into Satan. And it was pride that caused Adam and Eve to sin, because it said, Satan said, ye shall be as God. Pride opens the door to every other sin, because once we're concerned more with our reputation than our character, there is no end of the things we will do to make ourselves look good before others. God is a jealous God over his church, because it was his church that was purchased with his own blood. And the church is the pillar and ground of truth, while Satan is a liar and the father of all lies. So what he does is he tries to infiltrate the truth with a lie in order to hinder and harass God's precious promise. You have to understand that God's ways, how God deals with people are different than how we think that maybe we would deal with people. There's, there's times in, in services that things happen that I don't understand, and it's not up to me to understand. I know of a, a, of a man who, he went to pray for someone, and right when he went out to touch him, the Lord spoke to him and said, don't pray for him. In two weeks, he'll be a babbling idiot. 
and he pulled his hand back and didn't pray for him. And two weeks later, he got called by the family and said, so-and-so, all he can do is babble. He can't make a lick of sense, and they put him in a mental institute. But it come to find out it was a spirit of pedophilia that he had been dealing with and messing with, and it overtook him. And he still to this day, he's a babbling idiot. You can't question how God chooses to deal with people. you got to trust in the way God does it. And I know of revivals that the only way revival came is God had to let some people die in a revival because they were the ones that were hindering and, and blocking what God was trying to do. Amen. This is God's church. This is not a man's church. God can handle this church however God chooses to handle it. Amen. Clap your hands right now unto the Lord. Amen. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11.31, if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. You've heard me say this before. But the Bible says that judgment must begin at the house of God. Every person is going to be judged by this book. Every person. At the great white throne judgment, there's going to be the Lamb's book of life and the word of the Lord. The question is not, will you be judged by this book, but when will you be judged by this book? If you make it in the rapture, it's because you judged yourself according to this word. You saw areas in your life where you didn't measure up, and you started making adjustments to meet the truth of this word, and you made it in the rapture. But if you don't make the adjustments then you're still going to be judged by it, but it's going to be too late to make the necessary adjustments in your life to meet this book. Hebrews 10, 28 says, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite under the spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Their sin was not in robbing God of money, but in lying to the Holy Ghost, and thus robbing God of glory. Ecclesiastes 8 and 11 says, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. You take somebody who is, has a problem stealing something. What do they call those? Kleptos. Kleptomaniacs. Got to lock everything up. They steal everything. I promise you, they didn't just decide at 35, 40 years old, I think I'm just going to start stealing stuff. It don't happen like that. It might have started with stealing a piece of bubble gum when they was little and they didn't get caught. And then stealing something a little bit bigger, didn't get caught. And because there was no consequences, it just kept 
getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Until one day, they're going to get caught. But it's the absence of judgment that fuels the wrongdoer. Now, everybody's going to be judged. But God says, as long as you're on this earth, you've got opportunity to avoid being judged for the penalty of that sin if you repent and have and, and experience mercy and grace. That's why the Bible says that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. We don't have to come with our head tucked down. We don't have to come under condemnation. But we can come before the Lord and say, God, you know what? I made a mess of this. I messed up. I didn't do this thing right. And go to prayer. And the Bible says, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. For there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And we can let that blood cover those sins. We can let that blood wash away those sin, and we can walk in the grace and the goodness of God. The true grace of God always brings the true fear of God. We move from great power and great grace to great fear. Acts 4.33 and Acts 5.11, great fear came upon all the church. Hebrews 12, 28 says, Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Amen. Brother Jamie, read Acts 5, 12 through 16. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all in one, with one accord in Solomon's porch. And the rest, there's no man join himself to them. But the people imagined, magnified them. And believers, believers were the more added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. Insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets, laid them on beds and couches. And at the least, the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and them which were them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one. Now, there's a few points I want to make. Verse 13 said, And of the rest durst no man join himself to them, being the apostles, but the people magnified them. That was verse 13. Now, verse 14, and believers were the more added to the Lord. Verse 13 is not saying that the community was afraid to join the church since verse 14 tells us exactly the opposite. But it states that as the church looked on their leadership with less familiarity and more reverence, it magnified the office God had given them, and revival broke out again. Now, I'm going to break it down to where we can understand what, what, what Scripture is trying to say. Ministry is based on respect and credibility. Take the person out of it. We should, we should always honor and respect the office of pastor evangelist, prophet, apostle, and teacher. 
That's the fivefold ministry. And we have to have a respect for that regardless of who feels that position. All right? But with that being said, Billy Cole put it like this. I can only minister to you to the degree that you respect me. Now, when I moved here, I didn't know anybody. And you respected the office of a pastor. But it was several years before I could really minister to people because you didn't know me. You didn't have respect for me as a person. You had respect for the office of a pastor. And so that's why I said I'm your preacher. I'm not your pastor. Because it takes time to get to know each other. It takes time to build credibility. It takes time. It takes years to build it and seconds to destroy it. And so you have to understand that I can only be effective to the degree that I'm respected in someone's life. Not just me, but anybody, any preacher. That's why you have a hard time. Rarely will you see someone raised in a church become the pastor of that church. Rarely. I'm not saying never, but it is not common because everybody has a hard time seeing them as a pastor when they knew them as a little kid running around church. It's not in their capability. It's not in their knowledge. It's in the people can't make the mental adjustment to that level of respect needed for someone to pastor a church. Am I making sense to you? So, in, in, in this moment, what Scripture is saying is they saw the apostles in a different light. And because they, put, they saw them in the realm that they needed to be, it brought fear upon them. And they started, and they started uh, the Bible said that they grew and they added to the church. It multiplied. Hebrews 5, 1 through 4, for every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men and things pertaining to God, pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. Who could have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity? And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. This is what I've told people. Unless a man is called of God, into the ministry. He's foolish if he chooses it for a career. This isn't something that someone just wakes up one day and says, I think I'm just going to get in the ministry because it'll crush a person. It's the calling of God on an individual to fill that office that enables them to, to carry the load when the load feels too heavy to be carried. And if we want to have supernatural church, then we've got to hold high and esteem that five-fold ministry. It takes all five functions in the church. It ought to be that when a man of God comes into this sanctuary, it doesn't matter who it is, that we he's got our undivided attention to declare the whole counsel of God, to speak the truth in love without fear and favor. Amen. Don't you love the ministry of the church? Amen, 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 amen. Keep reading, Brother Jamie. Then the high priest rose up 
and all that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. And they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when, when they heard that, when they heard that, that they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they were, and they that were with them, and called the council together, and all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety, and the keeper standing without before the doors. But when we had, op- had, had opened, we found no man within. Now, when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this this would grow. Then came then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom you put in the prison are standing in the temple and teaching with the people. Can you imagine the astonishment to the members of the Sanhedrin when they were told the very people that you put in prison? Now they're out back in the temple preaching. Here they were trying to stop the miracles. And their actions against the apostles only multiplied the miracles. See, you can't, you, you, if you want to see how revival spread, revival spread by persecution. And we're living in a day, and, I, I, and I, I'm not a doom and gloom guy. But it don't take long if you turn on the news. There's doom and gloom. You just, you just you can't avoid it. It's everywhere. And we're living in a day wondering, are we going to face persecution? Are, are, are we going to have to go through anything like the, like the apostles went through? I, I can't answer all that, but I can tell you this because I, I can see how it played out in this book. Should we as a church go through persecution in that same manner, I can tell you what's going to happen. Revival's going to spread. Miracles, signs, and wonders are going to be performed. If it happened for the apostles in the book of Acts, it's going to happen for the church because God is the same. Yesterday, today, we ought not hide our head in fear and wonder if God's going to take care of his church. God's already proven he's going to take care of his church. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. Keep reading, Brother Jamie, verse 26. Then went the captain of the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Him with God exalt with his right hand to be the prince and savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God has given to them to obey obey him. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. In verse 28, you see the high priest remembering what he orchestrated just weeks ago. 
Matthew 27, 25, then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. You have revival breaking out, and the name is exalted, doctrine is spread, and the blood is proclaimed. What looked like adversity, what looked like a problem that in the eyes of the apostles, it furthered the gospel and it declared the name of Jesus, the doctrine of truth, and the blood of Jesus Christ proclaimed. Verse 31, how does God give repentance? Don't we do that? But remember that you can only repent if God allows you to feel your need of repentance. The council was educated, ordained, and approved, yet they had no ministry of power. Yet the apostles were ordinary men, yet God's power was at work in their lives. You know, you could have people that got more degrees than a thermometer and not be used by God. Knowledge is not indication of power. And I've heard sermons that were so beautiful but had zero effect. You could, you could sit here and, and craft a message out of this book. And you can wow people, but not change people. You can take someone who has no education, such as the apostles, but they've been in a prayer room. They spent time with the Lord, and they can turn their world upside down. We don't need more knowledge, but we need a revival of the power of God that can shake a community, that can stir people's hearts. Hey, friend, we've got to have that supernatural power at work. If you believe it, clap your hands unto the Lord. The Sanhedrin was trying desperately to protect themselves and their dead tradition while the apostles were risking their lives to share the living word of God. You know, there's some things that are just tradition. They're just tradition. They don't mean nothing. And I'm one for, I don't like change. I've got stuff in my office that's been sitting there since I got here four years ago. Doesn't bother me in the least. I just, I don't like change. But I realize that there's times that God has to stir some things up. Because we can get so comfortable going to church that we'll do it without God. And that's dangerous. So we've got to, we've got to be open to the changing and the wind of the Spirit as it blows. Because we're the only thing that I'm interested in is having a move of God that can change our lives. That's got to be our number one objective. Amen? Stand with me right now. We're going to pause right here, and we'll pick up where we left off last time. The book of Acts, church. If we, if we want to know how to have revival, we, we don't need a church growth book. We don't need a church growth conference. We don't need to follow the fads and the trends of today because everybody's got their own ideas of how to have revival. Let me tell you what it takes to have revival. It takes the name of Jesus. It takes prayer. It takes fasting. It takes pursuing God with all of our heart. And it takes a willingness to put our pride on an altar. Put our pride on an altar and to obey the Holy Ghost. A willingness to look 
foolish. The Bible said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation. Now, if anybody should have been justified in having a reputation, could have been Jesus because he was fully God. But he said, I'm going to come first as an example. And I'm not going to care what people think about me. I'm not going to care what people say about me. It's hard to not worry what people think about you and what people say about you. It's hard not to. It, there's something within us to defend ourselves. Yet Jesus didn't defend himself. And everything that he did, he never defended himself. Now, the second time he comes back, he's coming back as a king. He's coming back as a conqueror. But the first time he said, I got to show them, if you're going to make it to the other side, you got to not worry what people think about you. Hey, the greatest hindrance to spiritual liberty is pride. Pride. Worried about what the world thinks. Worried about what people in the church think. Worried about what everybody thinks. And so we live confined within the opinions of man. And that's a miserable place to live. If we could just walk in that liberty of the Spirit. The Bible says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free. When you got the Holy Ghost, you stepped into a realm of liberty that you never had before. And the Bible says, he that the Son had set free is free indeed. Why would you be set free? Only to live your life worried about what everybody else is thinking about you. Hey, friend, I want to have revival. And that's going to happen when we as a church are worried about only one thing. Let's have a move of God. Let's reach our world. Let's change our community. Amen. Amen. Let's lift our hands to heaven right now. Lord Jesus, we as a church need you now more than ever before.